Talking Tesla. Talking Tesla. Tesla. I'm not sure if like my foot should be on the brake or the accelerator. They put rings on Elon. It must be some sort of geometrical algorithm. Are you ready now? Oh, I'm sure this is math. Tom. <laughs> Robert. Yeah. Well, all right, fellas. Well, that's go. How am I expected to drive a car without autopilot? So here's the deal. You know, I'm not a good parker, Tom. Yeah. I'll be the first to admit it. Yeah. I just think that this is a car company that is run by super Auto geeks. Oh, yeah, the other cars are going to be stupid cars compared to this car. Tesla. You don't even have Tesla. Yep. I remember that. You've got a Model X. I've seen the future, and it is light pole charging. No, I wouldn't call it a screw-up. Do you like your Model X? God, it's beautiful. Ready, everybody? You excited? You want to do some... Cal 61. 61. 61. Oh, I don't feel like a day over 52. You know what I love about this show? <laughs> Is that we have twice as many letters as we have actual content that we have scrubbed from the webs and internets. I saw one letter and I was like, ooh, let's start with letters. Did you guys happen to read that letter? Oh, no. I think we're not doing that letter. <laughs> hey, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's Talking Tesla 31. And uh, Houston, Woo-hoo! we have a merger. That's true. We do have a merger. And this podcast is part of the Fooly Boo Network of Fine Podcasts. But that's not the merger. <laughs> Are you sure? Yes. We didn't merge with Solar City? No. You know, I was upset I'm when, confused. I, when I first read that Fooly Boo business and I didn't understand it and I racked my brain and I searched Google. And then finally, Mel enlightened me. Fooly Boo is the um, non-profit organization that uh, this show is a member of. You should know that. We also have Shabam, which is a science show. We also have uh, – what else we got? This one. Who going bit. Zero? Uh, going Zero coming soon. Oh, we'll tell you more about going it. Going Zero is not an independent podcast. It's it, part of this podcast. Oh, it's about to become an independent podcast of its own type volition. Why? But nobody cares mm. about this, so let's keep going. Tesla Rider got me onto to uh, Mars, the miniseries. Have you been watching it on Net Geo? No. I'm just off of about two weeks straight of work and travel, so I am going to be watching that today. It's quite good. They mix – it's very interesting. It's actually a lot like our science podcast. They mix dramatized like a movie, like a serial going to Mars – with actually talking to experts in a documentary-like format. It's very interesting. So, so is there jumping sex? in and out. Is there sex? Of course there's going to be. Actually, yeah. it's Nat Geo. It'll be sex between small marsupials. <laughs> They're not known for their sex, Tom. You know, I like the <laughs> Marsupials. <laughs> so now I have to break in since you and I just saw the movie Arrival. Yes. Is it true kangaroo means – I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Uh, no. She said in the next slide – I made that up. It's a line in the movie Arrival. Arrival's a good movie. Science fiction, mostly philosophical. Very good. I liked it. But then again, I liked Interstellar and people hated Interstellar. Oh, I loved Interstellar. Spoiler alert. Jeez, you just gave away a whole line in the movie, guys. It was a good line in the movie. It made a good point. But then afterwards... I'm not seeing it now. It's ruined. You ruined it for me. It's all over. How dare you? It's totally worth it. In fact, I'm probably going to go see it again. Although, afterwards at dinner, discussions with uh, teenage son who's deep into philosophy class right now. Mm-hmm. That's what kind of ruined it for me. So I, I won't go into the philosophical of the movie Arrival, but I'll just say that if you are a philosopher, maybe you should skip it. I am a philosopher. He's a... I'm philosophical. He's an urban philosopher. Uh, the one good thing about the spacecraft, I don't think this is giving anything away, in, very energy efficient. In National Geographic Mars? No, in uh, The Arrival. Uh, Very yes. energy efficient, giant capsules, and they're like, it's radiating no heat, it's radiating no energy, it's not no sucking nothing. any. It was great. Is it a Monty Python movie? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a Tesla. It was a Tesla. Um, so the merger is done. So What's they merger? 
the merger of Solar City and Tesla is done. They uh, voted. 85% of people said, yes, let's do it. So they're now one. Elon made some comments oh, you know, afterwards. What's cool about that is that it was 85% of unaffiliated shareholders, meaning Elon and his cousins who own probably like 98%. No, they own quite a bit. They weren't counted in that 85%. Right. So they had to disavow themselves. I don't know if they had to, but they did. And they said, okay, everybody else, you decide because we have a conflict of interest. And they did it and they're excited. And Tess, I mean, uh, Elon made some comments. And one of the first comments, and we're just going to edit in the audio here. Um, so apparently there's a new political landscape. Um, and um, not sure people, what people are referring to, but yeah, something. Um, so, so the, um, I think one, one of the, the, the biggest misunderstandings uh, about Tesla, and so, somewhat counterintuitive, is the degree to which Tesla is reliant upon incentives or subsidies. Uh, ironically, if all incentives and subsidies were removed for Tesla, Tesla's competitive position would increase, not decrease. This is a, like a really fundamental misunderstanding. We, we, we do believe there should be incentives and government incentives for electric vehicles, but we believe that they should be there for the good of the, the industry and to accelerate the advent of sustainable transport, not because Tesla needs them. Um, let, let, me, let me explain what, what I mean by this. The, the incentives either don't scale or, or they're disadvantageous. If you take the zero emission vehicle credit uh, where you get uh, $5,000, it, it's, it's a nominal value of $5,000 per credit, and let's say you might get, you know, say, two of those per vehicle or, or three. Um, so two would be worth $10,000 face value, but Tesla can only sell them to other car companies for about 50 cents on the dollar. Because the ZEV mandate is, is, is very weak, we, we, we only get 50 cents on the dollar. However, if General Motors or Ford or somebody else uh, makes an electric vehicle, they, they get to monetize their ZEV credit at 100 cents on the dollar. So if, if they said two ZEV credits per vehicle, General Motors would have a $5,000 cost advantage over Tesla. They, they do, not would, would have, they, they do have. So if people are concerned about Tesla and incentives, they should be concerned, well, how does Tesla overcome the competitive disadvantage of EV incentives? Not, not the other way around. There's also the $7,500 federal tax credit. That stops at a cumulative quarter million vehicles. So it's essentially irrelevant for any, any high-volume program. As soon as we start making half a million or a million vehicles per year, uh, that, that 250k cumulative will long ago have run out. It's impossible to scale electric vehicles and have the, the incentive be relevant. And then ironically, in California, they put an income cap on the $2,500 in incentive. Uh, so many of our customers don't even qualify for the, the $2,500 incentive because of the income cap, which I think is really quite destructive since we're the, and, and doesn't make any sense to me because we're the only car company left in California. Tesla is the biggest manufacturer in California. I don't understand why the legislature would do such a thing. That's ultimately to the detriment of, of its own state. Anyway, these things are puzzling. Now, did you understand that? Yeah, they hurt Tesla. I thought he, that was brilliant. He said, yeah, they don't actually help. They hurt. Please explain how that's possible. They how? must level the playing field a now, little so, bit more with the other companies that are out there. Well, he, he used many fronts in his uh, explanation. The first was... Uh, zero emission vehicle ZEV credits. We've talked about these where they've watered down what it requires to get a ZEV credit, right? Initially, it was a car that ran on either without any emissions with electricity or fuel cell. Hence the ZEV, which stands for zero right. emission vehicle. It should be called now 
Enzev or Elzev, like Les Zev, mm-hmm. because a lot of the hybrid cars, like the Volt, right, with a V, takes gasoline. I understand it's a nice, it's a good thing, it's a bridge car, but still it has, I've met a few people parked in the EV only parking space and I said, oh, you know, how often do you go to the gas station? A few of them have said, I don't go to the gas station, but a lot of other people go, well, I don't bother really plugging it in anymore. I just use the carpool lane. So, you know, it's, yeah. So anyway, getting back to the Zev, uh, all of the big manufacturers get Zev credits for like money. They actually get money back. But when Tesla gets Zev credits and they go to sell the Zev credits out on the marketplace, they only get 50 cents on the dollar. So SolarCity is really getting a decreased benefit from the Zev credits while all the other manufacturers are getting what they need. A lot of Zev credits for their, you know, partial zero emission vehicles. And that enables them to sell a lot more SUVs, a lot more trucks, which really pollute the hell out of the environment. And in the bottom line is that the ZEV credits don't benefit Tesla like they did at the beginning. Tesla used to get five grand a credit, getting two credits per car. That's like 10 grand. Now they only get five grand per car. So it's an actual detriment to Tesla's bottom line. He also, go ahead. But why, so why do they sell them to the, but they're selling them to, to other car manufacturers, right? right they're like other car they're manufacturers. propping them up. So again, if Tesla is really about the system, the electric car future, then they should just not sell them. And then where would those car, then those car companies would be forced to make zero emission vehicles. They'd be forced to move the needle a little bit faster, in my opinion. And I understand that's not, it doesn't make economic sense and Tesla's struggling for capital. And I, I know the answer to my question. It's somewhat rhetorical, <laughs> but it's an interesting thing to it's think about. It's completely rhetorical at this point. You know what? You're being too philosophical, Tom. <sighs> too philosophical. I still don't, really I don't understand, understand why we're talking about this one. This was a solar roof merger situation. Well, because he did. Because afterwards, he's okay. like, I'm using this yeah. opportunity to tell you a whole bunch of things. So he said incentives don't really work because he's responding to the fact that there is a new government out there and he's worried of all these incentives are going away. And he wants to tell people, everybody chillax because I don't think these incentives help us at all. In fact, they probably hurt us. And he said before in the last few weeks, take them all away. Take them away from the oil industry. Take them away from everybody because I can tell you I'll eat your lunch if you don't have your credits. Not yeah. going to happen. He talked about China. China, 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 right? That's Trump's favorite. They have a 25% import duty on Tesla cars. Local people in China, if they buy an electric car made in China, get additional credits. So basically a Tesla in China is 40% more expensive than in the United States. And that is the biggest car market. That is their biggest market. If China did away with electric vehicle credits, then boom. And if and this tells me that their next play is a gigafactory that makes cars in China. Why you know, we've already talked about how they've sort of scoped out land, they've talked to some developers over there. And so that is definitely going to be their next move because if they can drop the price on their cars forty percent and put out Model 3s in the largest car market where they're pushing EV and solar electricity generation. Wow. But why wouldn't it be Europe? And then because of the fact that uh, we're talking about Tesla energy more than anything, and then we're going to discuss some local scale utility things. I mean, I know China makes sense for that as well, but China doesn't have any small scale utility needs at all. They need big scale utility needs. So why wouldn't it make sense for Gigafactory number two to be 
on the European continent as opposed to the Chinese I continent? I think uh, why stop there? I think since we need 100 gigafactories, I think you're going to see them in Europe times six and China times 12 and America times four if it works, if you can get the capital, if it scales he has to have one in China. You got to have one in China. It's this such sounds, a huge market. You got to have one in Europe. At least one, maybe six. I don't know. You're going to see them everywhere. There will be gigafactories coming out of your buttocks, Tom. Ooh, that's exciting. Yeah, though I think it's just a matter of economics. You know, he's very economics focused. Economics drive the market, and you know, it's like you can't make this stuff up out of nowhere. It's it's got to be created with a market and sustainable economics and energy. He also talked about the European subsidies, which basically benefit the local companies there like Daimler and VW. And so now that, you know, Tesla has a big division in Germany and plans on moving, you know, increasing the number of engineers they have there from whatever, 500 at, at was it Grum, Grumler, Grumler, Grumler? I can't remember the name. Let's of let them. him swing. It's hard to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not Grumman, but you know, going from 500 engineers to 1,700 engineers yeah. there—that's or maybe it's, it's a lot. But don't, but don't you guys feel it's a tiny bit disingenuous when he says Tesla doesn't need the subsidies because <laughs> Tesla got to where they are because of the ten thousand dollars additional per car they were picking up. That definitely that had to have helped, right? Well, I would think sure. it helps, but uh, he's always said that the subsidies, in the end, um, they can speed things along a little bit. But if you're not economically viable against your competition, these subsidies, they're always fickle, they're always political, they yeah. can always go away. They speed things up at times, but I think we're at the point he's, – he's convinced me that uh, it doesn't really make a difference to him for very complex math reasons that I don't understand. I was told there would be no math. Yes. Well, I think it's because he's talking about a completely level playing field, then the subsidies don't necessarily help them but that's not what we have i think this uh, opens up an opportunity if any of talking tesla nation is out there who are into the gaming community you know or, or gamers who do board games i remember playing with my son axis and allies it was a fantastic board game it took a long time but it really taught a lot about true economics true geography and it was centered on the world war ii and and you basically can redo from a political, geopolitical, economic standpoint, you can redo World War II. Do it with gigafactories and the conversion to electric cars and how much energy, you know, how much resources you have to gather together, like in a Monopoly style game, mm -hmm. to build a gigafactory. This would be a cool, sort of forward looking game that would help take us to a sustainable future. Tesla Gigafactory, the game. Is that what they're going to go into next? Yeah. It's like the economics of war. This sounds terrible. No, hey, it's true. Or the war of economics. It's truth. It is true. But we didn't discuss some of the things he talked about in the roof. Oh, oh my God. Before we go there, let me that just set it great. up. This is amazing. So Tom will give us the details. But the most important thing he said there, the overriding thing is he said, this roof is going to cost you less than a standard roof. In fact, I was just meeting with the earlier today, meeting with the SolarCity uh, uh, engineering team. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to 100% commit to this yet, but it's looking pr quite promising that that a solar roof will actually cost less than a normal roof before you even take the value of electricity into account. So, so, so the basic proposition would be, would you like a roof that looks better than a normal roof, lasts twice as long, costs less, and, by the way, generates electricity? So why would you get anything else? Okay. 
maybe there's a reason. I'm not sure why, but um, anyway, so that's looking that's really looking really promising, and I think there's there's even room for for improvement beyond there. So, um, you know, very excited about where things are going to go uh, with with the solar roof integrated with the with the power wall and with the um, you know obviously with electric with electric cars. So with that, let's go to questions. Again, not entirely accurate for most Americans or most people. Let me just say, he said, this roof is going to cost you less than a standard roof, not even including the uh, money you're going to make from the solar. What he turned into a Scarface (laughs) Italian, I don't know, but this is what happened. I don't know what the hell you're doing right now, but I'm going to tell you one thing. (laughs) Stop. What? It's a deal. It's a deal. You no, cannot no, you, refuse no, the deal. No, I to stop. You have to also not start. <laughs> no, it's a good it's thing. It's not like rounding around he's, this thing. Here's what happened to me last night. No, you got to stop. <laughs> I watched The Godfather with my son. I said, son, you're 16 years old. It's time you became a man. Now, which version of The Godfather did you watch? The Godfather part one. And I said, every man Ooh. must watch a Godfather. <laughs> so we watched The Godfather. I'm turning into Scarface. So I can't oh do it. God. I try. I can't. It's Go. so bad. Tom, please. So, so yes, what he said was that it's going to cost the same as the standard roof, but he's talking about the fancy, expensive roofs that people put on their homes. Most 80% of Americans use those asphalt tile roofs, and that's not the roof he's talking about, you this mean, costing the same He's uh, talking to Tesla owners. He's talking to people who put those fancy Mediterranean tiles on their roof. Now, these roofs can cost up to 20 times more than an asphalt roof. That's that's a significant amount of money. So let's say, for instance, your asphalt roof... Not necessarily. Because if your uh, asphalt roof costs zero, 20 times zero, if my math is correct... Is zero. Just wanted to bring that up. That is, again, <laughs> ridiculous. We're going to get a letter about your insanity yeah. just based on that alone. So let's say, for instance, your asphalt route doesn't cost zero okay. and it costs you six to $10,000. Yes. 20 times that is a lot. Right. One hundred and twenty dollars to $200,000. For a roof? Right. But this is what we're talking about. <laughs> If these roofs do cost 20 times more, because, again, if you think about clay roofs that you put on your roof, it's a lot more labor-intensive. There's mm-hmm. all kinds of cements and other things that have to go put on your roof. You have to shore up roof, because right? the roof weighs up. so much more. This happened to a friend of ours. He just had his roof repaired. They put some new tiles on, and the whole ridge went and, like, crushed his entire home. I would say don't recommend that roofing contract. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It was right, pretty but funny so, to see But it. so, yes, they do cost as much as the average roof if you're getting one of the above-average expensive roofs, which are, again, very, very expensive. But he mm-hmm. also pointed out that no one – I think his quote was, no one's looked at the roofing industry for a very long time. It's not like you sit down and calculate and and imagine a way to make roofing that much more efficient. And he said there's a huge loss in the supply chain of energy spent transporting this stuff. It's so much heavier. The roof that he's making is less heavy, that it goes on just as easy as a shingled roof. It's basically a lot of the 
um, mechanisms of the process of putting the roof on is where we're expecting to save money. But the average person listening to him talk, right, who put an asphalt roof on, he doesn't ever say that word, asphalt roof. He never, ever, 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 ever has said that. Well, the average person listening to any of these conversations says, oh, it's the same as my roof, and I just had a roof put on for $10,000. That's awesome. Average That's not true. And me. I'm like, oh, well, it's going to be as cheap as my roof. My roof's asphalt. Yeah. So uh, but, how much are these going to be? Could you just give me a number? Well, what, I, I don't <laughs> give me a number. I, it, well, again, if they're 20 times more than an $8,000 asphalt roof or a $10,000 asphalt roof, Where'd then you get 20 talking, times. That's in, what he said on the, in, in, in the article that he said. I don't know about 20 times. But wait, wait, he wait, also no, 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 said, I'm sorry. I got that from, okay. from – not from him. Okay. From someplace else on the web where I looked up from the Asphalt Roof Trade Association. And I don't think I got the 20 times number from them. But I got the 80% of all roofs are currently asphalt from the Asphalt Roof Trade Association. So I'm just saying that the market of the roofs that he's specifically talking is smaller and those roofs are more expensive. Again – there's a lot of factors that go into that, and those. The other thing that I will tell you is those expensive roofs. They don't need replacing as often. They just don't. They don't wear out. They're forty, fifty, sixty year roofs. So again, you're taking twenty percent of the market. It's now even smaller because those roofs come up for replacement much more. I, I'm not. Again, I'm not. I'm not a naysayer. I'm just giving the people the information. So imagine this: the glass tile roof that looks great that Elon is putting out there will last, let's say, 50 years. Mm-hmm. And your asphalt roof is guaranteed to last 15 years, 20, 25. Depends on how thick the asphalt you can shingles buy a 40-year are. Asphalt roof. So maybe these roofs are going to be 80-year roofs. Potentially, yeah. So what's the likelihood your bank will give you a loan to get it? Make it easier for you to buy. If you've just bought your home, and you want your home to last a long time. You don't want to have any mess-ups with your roof. And this improves your resale value. So it's going to take time for this to actually penetrate the market. But I think that the economics make sense. It's true. There's a lot of goofy things on the Tesla website. When you go to buy your Model S, they don't tell you that the price of the car is, you know, $132,000. Wait, you know, you save 2000 a year on gas and you save this and no maintenance. And they make it look like it's, you know, whatever, $25,000 less. And it really is, isn't. It's like hard for us to make that paradigm shift of looking down the road. It's really difficult. Again, if the car specifically, it depends a lot on how much you drive. If you don't mm-hmm. drive a lot, if you have a car right now, you're putting five or 6,000 miles because you have no commute or whatever, then you're, the numbers on the website make no sense whatsoever. Right. Those numbers also have to do with how much you can save because X percentage of it is supercharging. If you don't live near a supercharger or you'd never have to supercharge, then that money is taken out of it. So that number, I try to ignore the sort of gas savings number because I think for some people that number is probably astronomical and for other people that number doesn't exist whatsoever. Well, I wouldn't say astronomical, but it's a makes a little bit more comfortable to buy the it car. It can be. Again, if you're a guy who's driving 200 miles a day, right, and you were driving a Ford F-150, you're putting a serious amount of money in that truck. If you like switch, a pit pile? If you switch to an S, <laughs> you could literally be saving twice as much as they calculate. And mm-hmm. if you're using the super, if there happens to be a supercharger on your route, this, again, that's a very, very small thing, but it is possible 
that the mathematics widely varying when it comes to that, just like the mathematics of this roof thing. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing because the Tesla S and the Tesla X were for rich people. The new Tesla roof is also for them at the moment. That's all I'm saying. That's it. Version 2.0 could be much less expensive. So we've learned this, and I didn't even know that. So an asphalt roof is significantly less. I just did some looking up of the Google, and it's not 20 times. It's like three or four times as much. Um, So $10,000 for an average little house versus 50000 it can be. But the point is uh, this may not be for the open market for everybody to begin with. Hopefully the prices will come down. That's very exciting. But what about the electricity generation? So we're just talking about the roofy bit. What about the knobbly bits that make electricity? Let's let's talk. They're making some good solar panels. They're Gigafactory. They're in cahoots again with Panasonic on a bunch of Panasonic technology. And they think they're going to get their panels to 22 to 24% efficiency. Which, as you know, is very, very very good good for solar panels. And again, I don't know the physicalities of how they're going to go. We talked last week about potential small shadows on the roof from the dimensionality. There's all sorts of issues that we just don't know. Well, he said that they will not put solar panels in all of the tiles. They will calculate the roof, sun exposure between those gables where there's never any sun. That will just be the glass. It'll match. It'll look gorgeous and he even talked about the 3m business which i thought was kind of uh, kind of interesting you know they went to 3m to develop some of the films that go between the layers of the solar tiles and 3m developed the one that has the louvers right the louvers that keep you from seeing the solar panels within the tiles from the street but allowed the sun to go directly down and he said there's even this bouncing of electrons business so or photon business so that they can actually squeeze more electrons out of the solar cells because of the film technology and then somebody asked if like basically does tesla own all the patents and i think that 3m actually probably is going to be a a leakage source or maybe will be available to other solar panel manufacturers to copy this and hopefully that's the kind of stuff that will again last for 40 50 60 years right like who knows what the film's life is going to be at this point because it's never been put in this sure environment so that's another kind of so we were worried that the efficiency at. might be low because of all these films and they have to make it hard and strong. But it sounds like the efficiency is going to be good. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the other one we're talking about is the micro-inverters. Like if there's a little bit of shadowing here and there, I just love micro-inverters. I'm all about micro-inverters. So remember, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we go into this. Depending on how you put your solar panels together, if you put a little bit of shading on one panel and they're all in series, you get a huge reduction in the amount of energy. Where if you've got a micro-inverter, a little inverter on each panel, um, shadowing of one panel doesn't affect the next one. So – I, I'm wondering how they're going to deal with that or whether they're not going to worry about it. They're going to say, yeah, it's fine the way we've got it. It's funny because some guy at the end of the Q&A, they actually took questions from the uh, audience. And this guy, actually maybe two people got up and asked these sort of basic questions. Have you thought about this? And have you thought about that? And Elon just kind of sat back and laughed and made us or made me gave me the impression that, yes, They've already worked out all these kinks. And he's saying that this whole system is so simple, he can't understand why no one has thought of this before. Some of, uh, Can I just have a little bit of a gripe here? Some of the questions that are asked at these things are by people who clearly have no idea. They're reporters who, like, uh, you usually do uh, the Knife and Gun Club, but can you go down to the Tesla event and ask a stupid question? Are you saying that they don't listen to talking Tesla? Uh, I think so. They're just yeah. so inane and everybody's like... Uh, anybody that listens to this show could ask better questions than those people asking. Maybe that's something that uh, Elon should say. Listen, if you want to come to the shareholder meeting, fine. 
If you want to come to the shareholder meeting informed, then listen to the freaking podcast, Talking Tesla. Yeah, because you know he listens. And we know so much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go move on. Can uh, Trump squash clean energy? This is from QZ.com, and it says uh, this. Because you know, we're all a bit anxious about what's going to happen under a Trump presidency, and he's going to do lots of bad things. And the summary is this. Renewable energy is popular. It makes sense financially and is mostly a state issue. 79% of Americans want to see more domestic solar. Even in red states, people are installing solar at an ever and exponentially increasing rate. Over 80 companies have committed to the goal of 100% renewable energy, including IKEA, Apple, Google, Bank of America, Coca-Cola, Nike, P&G, Walmart, and many more. It's good for business, and it's really good for the bottom line because the prices of these solar panels keep coming down. As evidence of all of this movement, this week Florida, or actually a few weeks ago, Florida voters defeated the utility-supported measure to restrict solar in that state, and Nevada, of all places, voted overwhelmingly to end um, Nevada Energy's legal monopoly and create a payoff for more clean, cost-effective energy in that state. The solar industry employs 140,000 more workers than the coal and mining industry. How many? 140,000 more. 140,000 more. And increasing all the time. But those this, are much more spread out, right? So coal mining happens in small counties, right? So it's very – it affects these small local areas a lot more when you lose a lot of coal mining jobs. That's – you know, and solar jobs are all over the country. And this is where the future jobs are. So it did upset me when uh, Hillary went in, said, uh, we're going to put all the coal miners out of business. And we all did a sigh of, that was really bad politics. Don't say that. Say how there's going to be all these new jobs. It's not as simple as just, well, we'll turn the coal mine into a solar factory. You're right, Tom. It's like, these are big shifts in where people need to live and where the factories are. But their point is, if you just take a step back and look at the total number of jobs, where's the growth of jobs, which is Donald's big thing? Jobs, America, jobs, jobs in America. It is not in the coal and oil industry. The jobs is in renewable energy and not just making it for this country, making it for the world. So if you're a Trump man, then you want to help support these industries. And when I say help support, I mean don't destroy them just to destroy them because this is where a lot of jobs are. It's just that the jobs in the coal industry happen to be in a state or a region in which one person might need to get votes to become the president of the United States. There's a reason that in blue states with Democrats in coal states, uh, they don't believe in climate change. It's all about who's paying uh, the bills, who's getting the votes. But I'm excited about this because we've got a number of different articles that say the same thing, that this train has left the station, that renewable energy... Just in terms of economics, the prices have come down. This is where the growth of uh, jobs is. But to me now, it's still about that one little bit and that storage, 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 storage. We can now generate electricity incredibly cheaply. Now we have to be able to store it incredibly cheaply. Renewable energy. Yes. I recall that in West Virginia, there's a region in which – actually, West Virginia has a lot of mountains, right? That's what they dig the coal out of. And because of the way the mountains are structured and where it is, there's actually quite a bit of wind there. And there's actually a large wind farm that's being created that's giving a lot of people jobs who used to dig coal for a living. It's not causing the water to be polluted. And there's actually a movement within West Virginia to promote more wind energy. But that got no press. Right. But we do a very bad job of sort of in this country of being sort of prescient and and forward thinking when it comes to replacing a renewable and and looking at people's jobs and livelihoods and communities and saying, 
Okay, in 25 years, as America shifts to renewables and moves away from coal, this community is going to be hit hard by that. How can we preempt that now? We don't do that. As a nation, we should be doing that to those counties where coal mining and oil and oil drilling are prevalent and, and saying to those people, look, this job's going to exist for now. How do you want to move forward? And I don't think there are probably some people who work in the coal mine who are like, I did it, my grandfather did it, my great-grandfather did it, and my son will do it. But my guess is a lot of those guys would be like, if there was a better option or something else in that community, I'd much rather have my son doing that, my son or daughter doing that, than working in the coal mine. But but what you're talking about there is a fundamental difference between the U.S. economy and other economies. Correct. So the U.S. economy is all about uh, market forces. And market forces don't look in when you're talking about this kind of stuff about planning 25 years ahead for people who may not need a job they're just like well if the jobs over here become 20 bucks an hour and your job over there is 10 bucks an hour you're gonna have to move not my problem whereas in countries that where the um government is much more involved in planning yeah then you can do that so that ain't america baby and in education and paying for education and things like that it's too many vested interests you know Coke brother, Koch brother, Koch brother. And from a pure economics point of view, right, solar is now 70% less expensive than it was a decade ago, which is why you Amazing. see all these corporations moving into it. Like these companies are not altruistic. They're not just like, no. we're going to do it because it's the right thing to do. They're like, we have a lot of roof space. Opportunity. And this electricity is going to pay for itself at like the end of the Walmart. day. Look at Walmart. Correct. I mean, Walmart, they, they – they, yeah, they're they all don't about pay the their profit. workers, but uh, <laughs> hey, they got clean electricity. But the, so we talk about like, oh, the president can't have a huge impact on this. He can have a huge impact on this because he can give a boost to the non-renewables. He can do that. That's the sort of thing that can happen and could be a minor setback. It's not going to be a major setback. It's not going to happen forever. But we can't afford almost any setbacks at this point because of the momentum that we're building. Well, you know, you're talking about things as if, you know, there is such a thing as global climate change. And obviously the people in power right now don't believe that. But what they do believe is that we should make America great again. And making America great again includes making jobs more, uh, not profitable, better earning jobs right here in the United States, like in Buffalo, in Fremont, California, and in all of the solar and wind farms that should be popping up wind farms in West Virginia, which the U.S. Department of Agriculture or somebody said was a great opportunity. So this is why we have to be politically active because, yes, if the Donald and some friends, the Koch brothers, say here's one way we make coal really cheap again is you just get rid of the EPA. And not only can you pollute with carbon, you can pollute with mercury, you can do whatever you like. That's the time when you have to, as a group, as individuals, stand up and say no. Stop this. Enough. EPA is important. If you're not going to be the EPA, the people are going to be the EPA. We're going to get on the streets. We're going to protest. I don't want a coal-fired plant next door. Have you seen China recently? It's a disaster. It's called England 100 years ago. So that's why we have to be politically active. But you are correct. Taking off some of the environmental protections that we have, which they're all about doing, is very bad. But long-term, I don't think it's going to be an issue because it's going to be cheaper. But short term, we have to say we have to call them out in local communities and in states saying, no, we're not going to do that. There's a reason that the EPA was created because when industry is allowed to do what it likes, it goes for the bottom line. And that means you, since you don't have to pay for pissing in the water and spewing mercury and shit into the air, since you don't have to pay for that, you will do it. Yeah. 
Yeah. So just to give you an idea where you live in the United States, where your power comes from, I'm going to include in the show notes a infographic from the Washington Post. I'm showing it to the boys here. There's a bunch of great maps and graphs on this page that show the gray on the top half of this is coal. This was from 2015. And it shows that in West Virginia, like 95 plus percent of the energy comes from coal. That is electrical energy. And then it shows like natural gas, nuclear, hydro. And we're going to talk later about Hawaii. But Hawaii, if you look here, has the largest amount of electricity percentage wise produced from oil imported on oil tankers. And so it's a great graph. I, I was really enlightened. I couldn't believe how much coal was actually being used to produce electricity. It's a big deal. That's why you hear about it all the time. And, yeah. But it's going down. Look, um, there's another report here from the BBC, which says representatives from 47 of the world's poorest countries got together to pledge uh, their future energy needs. And they said they are going to try and become 100% renewable by 2030 to 2050. These include people like the Marshall Islands, which obviously have a vested interest in the seas not rising um, anymore <laughs> because they're already disappearing. Their concern was that they had hoped that they were going to get some cash from the first world because it's really the first world that has produced most of this pollution and they were hoping to get some cash to help them move to solar and renewables. But now there's a new dude in the White House. They're very concerned that uh, some of these billions of dollars to help them out with this is going to go away. So there was all of the first world countries pledged $100 billion towards this program to help these countries make all of their future energy from renewables. And now people are concerned that the U.S. is going to pull out of that agreement the U.S. has already given $500 million of their $3 billion that they pledged to this. So, And the other $2.5 billion, according to this, was already supposed to be in the mail, but the mailman has changed. So that's a bit but of But the mailman issue. doesn't change till January, what is it, 17th? <laughs> yeah, you right. can still put a check in the mail, yeah, Obama. But, Get but the those, check in the mail. But the, but the lame ducks who lick the stamps – are not down is my guess, right? They're not they're not quite as down. But so again, it's the US impact alone is only three billion, so three percent of the total commitment. The problem is if we renege, it makes it easier for the other countries who have pledged to renege. And that would be my personal concern, right? So the US does a disservice again to its own workforce by not doing this because my guess is if you send three billion dollars to the Marshall Islands and our solar panels are more efficient and can go on the roofs there that are being made in the buffalo solar gigafactory that only helps the u.s it's again i don't i want to give them a little bit of space make sure they're not short-sighted but i want people to understand that the u.s needs to maintain its leadership position and keep the commitments that it's promised to Battery farm in paradise. Let's do some good news. This yeah. is from Fortune. So Kauai, which is really a stunning Hawaiian island, and you should go. It's re- it's my favorite of the Hawaiian islands. It's very green. Say. It's the greenest. I love it. And it's where all the Jurassic Park movies and stuff, whenever you they see this beautiful island, it's usually the, the Kauai, the, the Nepali coast. The garden island. Um, so they've got a 65-acre solar panel farm there with 55,000 solar panels. And now, so they've generated a huge amount of electricity from this farm. But now they're getting batteries. 
So it's going to be finished uh, early next year. So this is the first utility-grade Tesla installation. So they're going to store all of this energy in Tesla batteries because what happens in Hawaii is that it's sunny, 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 and then the clouds come and it rains for half an hour and then it goes away and it's sunny, sunny, sunny. So one of the issues they have with solar is the intermittent nature of it, even, um, even though they have a lot of it over the course of the day. So these batteries instantly will turn on. So there goes behind a cloud, boom, battery gives you energy so there's no graying out of the electricity. And they don't have to fire up their don't have energy to fire up the, plants. The plants, which actually take a lot longer to fire up than a battery. A battery is basically instantaneous. So they leave them on longer and it's less efficient. It's sort of problematic. So this is very exciting that this is happening. So this is the first one. The second utility-grade Tesla installation, we believe, is occurring up the road here. Where the methane leak happened. Where the methane leak was. And so it'll be interesting to see as these get rolled out as to how well it works. But the number, where is the number here? 52 megawatt energy storage or 14 cents a kilowatt hour? 14 cents a kilowatt hour installed. So I've been talking about... You that's, know, that's what I'm paying right now? That and that's crazy. the whole system. That's, that's the panels, panels and energy storage. And the storage mm-hmm. at 14 cents a kilowatt hour. Correct. That is cool. Because in Hawaii, because it's so expensive in Hawaii because they have to bring the ships over with the oil yeah. and the gas and the burning. This is way less than they've been able to generate electricity for in the past. That's why you can't stop that kind of innovation, that kind of uh, economics. It's that is revolutionary. Cheap. And the thing that's interesting about it, right? So you had a note here, Melvis, that says it might not be the solution for really big cities, but it works well this size. And my take on that is even Los Angeles is just a combination of a bunch of smaller cities, right? So I live in Tarzana, which coincidentally has about 37,000 people, according to the last census, and Kauai, the the island that we're speaking of has about 33,000. So could Tarzana as a community get together and build one of these systems? Obviously, I don't know that Tarzana has a spare 65 acres, but we probably have 65 acres of roofs, 65 acres of there's a busway that runs through it. They could put a big awning up. I mean, there are thoughtful solutions that could happen. So small communities could get together. You've talked about this in the past as well, about getting together and doing this for themselves. Community solar. Look, I know Kauai. Kauai is a friend of mine. Tarzana is no Kauai. <laughs> no, Tarzana is not Kauai, that's for sure. But it's a lovely community, and I only say that as about a relative size thing. When you talk about big cities not being able to do this, I think that they could potentially make that happen. I just, I'm, I'm wondering how much the Saudi family is investing in Tesla and now Solar City Tesla. Probably not very much, but but Elon himself talked about this Kauai project uh, as being a key reason why the merger needed to happen because this Kauai project was a sort of a government scale utility situation, right? right? And and with that comes all sorts of red tape and paperwork and bureaucracy. And the two boards were having to work not necessarily in concert with one another because they just legally weren't able to do that. And it was very, very inefficient. And he realized during that process that bringing that together, those boards together with this merger, again, was going to make it much more uh, efficient way to make these big scale products. Not to mention in the future, when other municipalities are considering such a deal, Tesla can swoop in now with a soup to nuts solution. Yeah. Whereas Sunrun merging with Daimler, who's making battery packs, and they're, that it's like puts them head and shoulders above the competition. 
You brought up a good point, Tom, which is sometimes when I'm flying over Los Angeles and I see the mass of houses and cars and trucks and I get overwhelmed. And the way you deal with big problems is you divide it into a series of small problems. And right. so, yeah, getting the, my head around, well, Woodland Hills is a city that's up for the road from Tarzana and it's got about 35,000 people. And we're about the size of Kauai. We could actually do this. Breaking it down like that makes me think, oh, yeah, this is possible. You just take the big problem and you divide it into a local problem, start there. Maybe there should be a city council-based uh, expert, you know, we could promote this. Maybe this is a new career of somebody who goes through the city, their city, and says, okay, let's look at everybody's house. Where do we put solar panels? Let's put solar panels, max everyone's house out. Let's have an energy storage system, maybe five or six little pods of regions of solar panel, uh, of solar energy storage mechanism like the Tesla power pack. And then the city, that little city can go offline. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an article here that uh, Cece put in, which I just find interesting. It's called Recycling So Good They Ran Out of Trash. It's from Buzzworthy. So Sweden, not Switzerland, uh, not that there's a difference, uh, made a priority of sustainability. <laughs> oh, shit. You know what's so weird is at the end of the last show, yeah. I said basically there's no difference between Germany and uh, Austria. Not one, not one letter. I'm doing my best to upset as many people as possible, and <laughs> no. you don't even have the decency to be upset. They're, they're coming. coming. Trust me, they're coming. Uh, at the speed of light. <laughs> so they recycle 1.2 million bottles and cans annually, and there's only about 9.6 million of them. What they, are they drinking? I know. A lot of alcohol. <laughs> A lot of alcohol. Oh, my goodness. Less than 1% of the discard ends up, ends up in the wan, uh, wanfill. In the wanfill. In the what? In the okay, wanfill. Okay, Barbara Wawa. <laughs> <laughs> And so they participate in this uh, energy to waste program where they have these special plants and they take out all the stuff that's recyclable. It's a waste to energy program, but that's cool. Instead of putting it in the ground and producing (laughs) methane, they burn it and then they make electricity and produce CO2. And they produce (laughs) CO2. And so that was one of my questions like, is this really clean? They're so good at this. They actually import trash from other countries and they burn it. But um, how'd you like to have been on the other end of that call? Hey, uh, do you guys have any extra trash you can send us? Send us we your will shite. have as much trash for you. It's very good. Oh, it's the best trash in all of Europe. <laughs> we will send it to you immediately. <laughs> Trying to work out where that's from. I don't know. That's, that's France, poss- clearly. It's not possible to know. So, I, you know, there's a, a lot of comments about this, and I was wondering the same thing. So they're burning this, producing CO2, but is it producing less CO2 than the methane is hurting? And so I don't know, but... Um, it did bring up the point that we need not just recycling, but we need repurposing. And I'll give you an example. Here's an example. For example, you ready Can you for give this us an example? example? I'm going to give you Wait an example. Wait a minute. Hold on. So an example is sort of a an idea about how this could work. Uh, well, this is an example of why you want to reuse more than recycle. Because my son runs a lot. He's got a lot of shoes. And runners, they flip their shoes every few months. If you're doing 50, 100 miles a week, you yeah. go through a lot of shoes. And the pile of shoes that he can't wear anymore because it hurts his feet and it gives him blisters is huge. It's how big? Large. <laughs> but I wear my shoes for like five to six years because I just walk around. Then you're going to damage your And I look at his shoes feet. and I'm like, if we try and recycle his shoes, yes. you're going to have to pull it all apart and you're going to have to have a heater and you're going to – it's going to require a lot of energy. But those shoes are perfectly good for people like me to reuse. So you take them down to the homeless shelter, you clean them up, and you give them to people to use because there's a lot of use in that. So it's better to reuse than it is to recycle. But I don't know why I just threw that in there. I just think we need to be really good at reusing. That's the second part of the three R's, the reduce, the reuse, the recycle. recycle. So in England, they uh, produced an app, a phone app. It's called Too Good to go, T-G-T-G. 
So they noted in this article that 50% of the waste they recycle is food, right? Half of the food, or I should say, restate, half of the food that we get, we waste. Right. Right? Because it goes bad. It's about 40% in the U.S., maybe a little higher. But we're fatter, so, you know, we eat more of it, I can (laughs) can only say. Yes. And so this app in England is uh, meant to enable recycling, or I should say, you know, using appropriately of restaurant leftovers. So restaurant has made a bunch of food. They they don't have as they don't have as many customers that day. They have a lot of extra food. You can go on the app and you can actually get food from restaurants that is good enough to eat and cost you a lot less money. And it's already prepared. This has been a big issue for me personally. You go to restaurants here in the United States because it's the land of plenty and they'll bring you a giant bowl of bread mm. and you take one piece. And I was talking to one of my friends who's a restaurant owner, and I said, what happens to the rest of that bread? And he goes, you're supposed to throw it out. Yep. Yeah. Um, because that's been touched by <laughs> wait, a human wait, wait. hand. He said you're supposed <laughs> to throw it out. Yeah, he did say supposed <laughs> to throw it out. I'm like, that's an incredible waste. Like, it's an absolutely atrocious waste. You should see our trash cans at the end of the day. Yeah. It's full of bread and stuff that is – and so my first suggestion was like, why don't you bring out a bowl of bread that's a quarter of that size? And I'll ask you for some more. And he's like, oh, that's a good idea. So I'm just just, saying there's a lot of waste, and if we can fix that, because when I work at a homeless shelter, that's when I ask, can't we just call the local restaurants and say, all the food you didn't eat, can you just bring it over here? It's perfectly good. I'll eat it. You cannot. That's a health department violation, although they're starting to to get a little bit more uh, loose on that one. But there are health issues, right? So let's say that bowl of bread comes to your table, and you happen to be a filthy tuberculosis, hepatitis-carrying person, and you touch – you're like, I want that bread. I don't want that roll. And then it goes back into the kitchen, and they put it in the homeless bag. Then you're spreading your tubercular hepatitis all over the place. Yeah, that's not so realistic, but think about how many children – Think about how many children under six years old who are the largest reservoir of viral diseases are on the table with their snotty noses touching and feeling and, and spreading it to their family but mm-hmm. we just don't want to have them spread all those viruses that much more broadly an interesting thing is that i go to the oxnard supercharger a lot and on my walk from the supercharger long way across the parking lot to the whole foods where i like to get some snacks and such they they put out every few days they put out bins right green recycling bins like the ones that i don't know maybe you or have it at your home they put out something to the order of like 24 of them or 30 of them and sometimes they're so full the lids are lifting up and i look inside there's strawberries yeah a bin produce 50 gallons of strawberries lettuce and i'm like that strawberry looks really damn good why don't i just and i don't but why don't I just pick – that's a beautiful strawberry. What the F are they doing? And so there is so much waste, so much. Why can't we just take all those strawberries, dump them in a big bin, churn them up, and turn them into strawberry wine? The process would kill the bacteria. Sounds good to me. Yeah. And then they could give it away for free. And then we could have it on Talking Tesla. We could say this is reused strawberry wine. Because there's not – again, there's not enough – to scale, right? So there'd be like three bottles of strawberry wine, two bottles of beet wine, some yeah. romaine lettuce wine. It, Maybe she's it just be, doesn't make sense. It's unfortunate. Make it vegan wine. That, you know, you get these weird efficiencies when you talk about food pantries and things like that, that just, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, unfortunately, for local. that to work. Local, local, local. No, I, I get it needs that. needs to be local. And the cost, we don't count the cost. 
again, this is why people push things like carbon tax and stuff. So if you go to Oxnard where they make where they grow a lot of those strawberries and they're pouring an enormous amount of fertilizer, which then goes into the ground, which then gets go out to the sea, which makes the algae grow and it's all bad and it's pollution. If you don't count the cost of the pollution, you don't add that to the cost of the product. If that product costs significantly more, they wouldn't be throwing as much of it as away. They'd say, uh, don't send us 10 tons of strawberries, send us one ton. Yeah, they just charge twice as much for it as what they do. Uh, Model 3, can we talk about Model 3? Oh, yeah. Model 3, and this is an article from... Are we skipping the bolt? Oh, did I skip the bolt? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, my God. Oh, that happens a lot. Skipping the bolt. The bolt bolt gets skipped. All right, so this is from Fred Lambert from... Are you ready? Oh, (laughs) electric! It's from electric. Now, uh, first of all, we should say the Bolt just won Car of the Year here in the United States, one of the most prestigious awards. Pretty good for a car that's not out. Uh, for a car that only three people have been in. <laughs> Doesn't car exist. Car of the Year. The white whale of cars. Now, GM says the Bolt is undergoing a slow ramp up. They said it's going to be Understatement. Uh, in all of the 50 states. It's going to be great. And now they're saying uh-huh. it's really only going to be in California and Oregon, sort of these carb states where there's lots of uh, cash for the There's only thing. one carb state, just for the record. Is it only just California? Yeah, because it stands for California Air Resources oh. Board. Yeah, yeah but there's... What about the other California? There's 17 states and regions that have adopted yes, all of the There are other carbs. states and regions, but yeah. carb... It Cub starts with California. You know, the winds blow from west to east. So uh, they are now saying it's going to be a slow ramp up. I just read this morning that this week they're starting deliveries in Southern California of this that. car, yeah. which I'm excited about because I am buying one. More on that later. Elon says this is great, but um, GM should not be making 30,000 of these. Right. GM needs to be making 300,000. They need to be making a million of these if they want to make a difference. So that raises the question, is this just another attempt by GM to have a compliance car? Because it's unclear they're going to make any money out of this. The thing that was concerning to me is that the Volt with a V, which is 50 miles electric and then gas, didn't actually start making money until this year. It took them six years to ramp up to the point where it was actually a profitable car. I have heard anecdotally that they will be making dollars per unit. They will not be going underwater, as it were, initially. But it's hard to know because they'll be making money. They could be calculating the carb credits and the fact that they can sell SUVs into that into right. that sort of – into that profit number, which makes sense for them on some level, right? Because if it's profitable for them to build it, it's profitable for them to build it regardless. I think there is some degree of magical thinking in all this because the reality is – and I think – Elon touched on this at the recent shareholder meeting. There is a lot that goes into making an electric car profitable or at least even break even. And some of that does not include importing like half the car from Korea and paying a second company to produce and design that second half of the car. So I think what he actually said on the call was GM, and he actually called them out, is targeting only the incentive thresholds in making this car. So they're only going to go to places where the incentive for them is to put this car out, not in West Virginia, not in Louisiana, not in the rest of the United States. Initially, they did. They have said Maybe. many, many times that this is a 50 state car. I'm going to defend GM on this one until mm-hmm. they don't do it. They've said they're going to do it. It's a compliance car until proven otherwise. Don't get me wrong. I understand that situation. It's a giant leap forward yeah, that's for true. them, for cars, for a lot of people, for the price point, for the range, for the quick, quick-ish charging. <laughs> All of it. It's not super fast charging, but it's right. pretty fast. 
Well, that's okay because there's lots of people who live in the urban setting who don't put that many miles on their car. And if GM gets rid of these 30,000 units and they fly off the the lots and they're not having to discount them and make these $99 lease incentives at the end of the year, right? Then they're going to make as many of them as they can. The real question is how many can they make in the model they have because of LG? Uh, Everything I've heard, LG can't ramp up to 300,000. You hear anecdotally different things. My friend went and drove one at the or uh, sat in one at the L.A. car show. Right, did not like the seats, by the way, but was told that they can ramp up the. Yeah, but that's the salespeople who bullshit all over the place, like they did when I saw it at the National Drive Electric Week Day moment event. (laughs) Moment event. We (laughs) had a moment. I like that. It's sweet. The problem and and the thing that concerns me, though, about the Bolt is that the batteries are absolutely completely different than what Tesla's gone with. And so they are wedded to LG for batteries. And LG has to be the one to produce. They're these fat, flat pack batteries. They're not cells. They can't be reconfigured and they can't, you know, it's sort of like, it's kind of like a, at this point, it seems like a bit of a dead end for them. It's only made specifically for this car. I love the, I can't wait to see what the news and the press does when the bolts sell out within three weeks. Like all, I don't know how they're going to do it. Maybe they're just going to roll them out a little bit at a time. But if they just fly off the showroom floors, I want to see what GM's response is. Oh, people don't really want electric cars. This is like the moment of truth for GM. Yeah, well, what I, do you mean their response? Because they can only do what they can do. Like half of the cars in all the local dealers have already been sort of spoken for from everything that I've heard from the local Chevy dealer. They're getting 80, 40 yeah, of them are already gone, taken, yeah. right? And I don't know. So if they've that's, already been sold. They're they've, flying off they're, the shelves. They're flying now. off the shelves. Like people are taking de- putting deposits on lists at, at the dealership level. Obviously, GM itself is not put together. So what about you, Tom? Like a giant list. I haven't seen it. I got to see it. And so over the weekend, my friend went to the LA Auto Show. I have some tickets to go to the Auto Show. I'm hoping to get there before it closes. But he said that. Is that why we're recording at the crack of freaking dawn? No, I'm doing something else today. Sorry, mister. If you had to come here at six in the morning, I'd come here for you and I wouldn't bitch about it. I would bitch about (laughs) it. That's for sure. I would bitch about it. But so he sat in it. He's about the same size dude as me. He's a big guy. And it just wasn't comfortable for him because you've heard about they have this new thin seat technology. So there's some some things that they built into it. But there are people who complain that the Model S seats are not that comfortable. We had a letter last week from a guy that had the sciatic, right? So it happens. It's a physiology thing. So again, I'd like to sit in it, see how it feels. It's hard to tell that at the at the auto show or whatever, but it, that doesn't not make it a compliance car. I think there are a lot of people out there who, for them, this car is perfect. It fits in the wheelhouse. It's the right price. Mm-hmm. Again, we know the Model 3 is going to be the same price, but is it really when you add all the things to it you want? My guess is it's going to be a $50,000 car, and that changes the paradigm a little bit. I got this uh, text, I'm sorry, a tweet from Chris Fato, who loves the show and shows me like what it looks like at the bottom of a, uh, oh, this was a hydrogen car. But anyway, he went in and looked at the Bolt and he really liked it. He showed a lot of pictures of the Bolt. Uh, He said it looked very comfortable and and he's like on board with it. And uh, I think it's great. I can't wait to see them driving around los angeles i'm gonna try and get down to the la auto show myself for one reason and one reason only and that is to go see the bolt um, because grandpa wants 
to get one. So he wants to get rid of his older car. He wants to get a Bolt, but he's not going to buy the sight unseen. So I want to go down there and send it. And for him, the key thing is, does this sit up a little bit like an SUV so that grandma can get in it? My, only con- I'm, my next concern, though, is by mm. the time I actually get one and sit in it, by the time grandpa comes over and there's one at the local dealership and he sits in it, they're going to be sold out for the year. Yeah, I mean, if you are honestly wanting one right now, a, the best bet for you would be to call your local GM and get on the list. I, uh, you know, the pictures that Chris sent from the San Francisco Auto Show did not show any open doors. And when I was the doors at, open for sure, yeah, I heard that. I've heard they the doors totally open. open. In fact, well, I've sat the in the car. I've sat in all four seats of the car. So the doors open, right? You didn't climb through like Dukes of Hazard style, right? No, and I even opened up the rear hatch. Ooh. And then after the beginning of the National Drive Electric Week moment event day event. <laughs> They close the car up. Remember I told you that like the guy, the quote, the guy who has the keys is not here right now. So it's like, why couldn't we all get in it? But you can get in it at the auto show. There's, line, there's lines. Yeah, that's okay. what I just finished telling Good. you that my friend got in it. There were huge lines. And the problem that he had was he sat in it. It was pretty uncomfortable, but there were a line of people waiting. So he couldn't sit in there for a, a long extended amount of time and re- right. readjust the seats. The seats were all manual adjustments. So that takes a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. It's not the fine tuning yeah. of the electric adjustment. My guess is that's a money thing. My guess sure. is the next version of that, if it is super successful, will have more and more of these sort of luxury type options. It could be the start of something or it could be the return of EV1. I mean, we don't know with GM. They are a freaking loose cannon of an electric car company for sure. Yeah. So Tom and I, uh, we should go down there together. But you know how what happens when I get down there? I'm going to be there for five minutes. I'm going to like um, get in the car and leave. Boom. Yeah. Go. You're going to be like, hey, are we still here? Why are we still here? Where can we, we go? It's going to take you 20 minutes. Tom and minutes. I went to uh, a big event in <laughs> Vegas a couple of years ago, the National Broadcasters. National and, Association of Broadcasters. It was great. So we get off a plane. Uh, <laughs> there's, this, there's thousands of vendors there. I go to two vendors and say, uh, see you, Tom. I'm yeah. out. He's, He's like, like, what? We I, just got here like a half an hour. I go, yeah, I've seen everything. I've and, gone. And the thing about <laughs> that flight was I had gotten there an hour and a half after you because what did I show up at the airport without post 9-11? Do you remember this? No. Your passport. Without my freaking ID. And I had to drive <laughs> home and I missed the flight oh. and had to get a cab all the way home and a cab all the way back to the airport. So I show up like an hour and a half after Mel gets there and he's like, I got to go. I'm like, done. see you later, buddy. Where did you go? Like to the massage parlor? No, he went home. Oh, went home. <laughs> he went to the airport went and got airport on another guy. flight. He was there for like two hours. That's this. like steroidal ADHD. Got, he is a lunatic. I've got issues. All right. So let me now talk about Model 3 because we've been talking about the Bolt. It's going to sell like cakes that are hot. hot. And, hot, and hot, who, hot, where hot. did this story come from, Elvis? This, uh, this, uh, came, from, this came from... Oh, what the... Bingo! Really making people work for it now, Herbert. Yeah, I'm waiting. I'm pausing. (laughs) So uh, Strobel said, here's a couple of interesting things, that the energy density of the Model 3 battery is going to be 30% more than the Model S. If you look at some of the other things that they've created, like the first-generation battery pack, which has 55 watt-hours per kilogram, versus the Power Pack 2, which has 130 watt-hours per kilogram, this energy density in these batteries is going up substantially. Smart people in the comments section said this, if you therefore have a 75 kilowatt hour Model 3, that would have a range of approximately 355 miles. That's big. That's huge. That's large. And that's then the next. Uh, beyond big, supercharge. It's, that's 150% energy density, is it not? The math on the first generation power pack it's, yeah, to the, second generation? Or it is seems that, like uh, almost doubling. 
So it's more than double. Fifty-five to one thirty is more than double, just for the record. Yeah, it's actually true. But I think that that's different in that he was first talking about in the car, and then they did some other funky things where it's basically the same okay. form factor, okay. but they shoved more batteries in. All right, but they didn't necessarily shove more batteries into the battery part because the new Powerwall has more Powerwall. in more. More input and output, right? And they took the inverter spirit. and they shrank it down so they could put okay. more batteries they changed and stuff the coo- in it. They changed the cooling system. They, they changed the internal structure, They're cooling the wiring. They're Kool-Aid. Yeah, they Kool-Aid. are. Kool-Aid, yeah. That's, no, that's what they've been sending out to us. <laughs> but then there's a Teslarati article, and this is why I think all this is important. There's a Teslarati article that says, from Rob M, that says, uh, should I get an S now or should I wait for Model 3? And he goes through it in some detail and it's worth reading. But the summary basically comes down to how is their Model S going to get differentiated from the Model 3? For him, it's not worth it. A $100,000 car versus a $35,000 car. The Model S is great. The Model 3 is going to be fantastic. Um, I So it, to me, brings up the question, if you've got a Model 3 that does 355 miles, if it does full autonomy, if it's a great little car, how do you differentiate it from the S, which is a $100,000 car? Yes, the S is a bit bigger and it can carry a few more golf clubs. But like Rob M here, that's really not enough reason to spend an extra fifty or sixty thousand dollars. I therefore I wait for the Model Three. Rob M says, it depends. So I don't think it's going to be fifty five thousand dollars more. So if you get a seventy five kilowatt hour um, Model Three versus a, a a stripped down Model S, it's not going to be that big of a difference. But you're going to get three more things. You're going to get luxury. You're going to get speed so you could go for the higher end model s and as elon tweeted on wednesday that they've now got an easter egg update for the model s p 100d that will get it to go zero to 60 in 2.4 seconds which beats the most amazing car ever made which was the bugatti viron faster than that car although now they have a new one out I think it's called the Chiron. I, I don't know where they get their naming and, and structures from, but it drives me a little bit crazy. And so that one goes 2.3 seconds, zero to 60. But that car's like a million five. So wouldn't you love to have, well, some of us, the fastest car in the entire city, unless you live in you know Brentwood, where there's seven or eight Bugattis. Uh, and, you know, you're just you're just tough, man. I don't know. I just I don't get that aspect of cars. That's just not where I, I don't right. fall into that into that uh, thing. But it does excite people. car people, yeah, right? It so does. when you talk to the average car guy on the street who is really excited by supercars and things like that, the Tesla is something that they now speak about. On Friday, I was at the food trucks up in Granada Hills. This we pulled into our on our Tesla. This guy's like, "Hey, how do you like your Tesla?" And I had a twenty minute conversation with this guy, and all he cared about was how fast it is that it beat this Ferrari, that it was this, that it was. And I said, yeah, but it's expensive. And he said, not when you compare it to these other cars. So this is a young dude who is a car enthusiast, and he gets the fact that it's fast, and for the money, it's still it's in the conversation. So that's great. It's an affordable supercar. Affordable supercar. So they'll find a way to differentiate it, I guess. But like the Tesla Radio article, I think a lot of people – I think Tesla is going to have a problem as they get closer and closer to Model 3 that people will no longer be just asking this question. They'll just not buy S's. I think you're going to see a dip in the number of S's sold in the next six months as Model 3 gets closer and closer. People are like, I was going to buy an S, but let me just wait and see what that Model 3 looks like before I hit buy. And in the bigger picture, that's not really what 
Tesla is all about. It's not about selling X's and S's. It's about getting an electric car in everyone's driveway who needs a car. And the and the point that Rob was trying to make in this article was that he got a letter from Tesla. So one of the things about this was he uh, already has a two and a half year old upgrade a Model S. He's got a 2014 Model S, and he got a letter from Tesla saying, "Hey, it's a good time to upgrade. We're giving you uh, some deals, and if you buy your car before January 1st, you have." Uh, the supercharging will continue free for life, blah, 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 blah. And he was sort of the interesting thing that I took away from that is like, is there this weird supply and demand issue? Is Tesla reaching out because what you say that it's slowing down or are they ramping up their sales force to the, for the, for the model three. And so these guys have time to to try different marketing tactics on their current customers and other people. I think it's interesting that Tesla is sending out these proactive letters. I don't know if either of you gentlemen have gotten it. Probably not because you just bought new cars. Yeah. No, I didn't get that letter. But it does just sort of raise that question, differentiation. It's the like same thing we talk about with Apple when uh, Apple's iPhone sales plummet the quarter before a new uh, iPhone comes out. So that's a little bit anxiety-producing. But it won't matter if they can build the trillion Model 3s because the Model 3 – is going to be a fantastic car. They're going to be able to build a lot of them. And I buried the lead, ladies and gentlemen. I feel sorry. I feel I want to apologize for burying the lead. What? I'm going to skip uh, one of these articles. I'm going to go right to the autonomous driving. Holy smoke, from electric and all over the place, there is the... From where? Electric? Uh, oh, God. Electric! Thank you. From electric! And from other places... First of all, let's do this one that says, look, version 8.0 hardware, a version 8.0 software with 1.0 hardware is getting a lot better at doing things like seeing people. Now, there's this crazy dude called (laughs) K-Man who you may have seen ages ago standing in front of 5,000-pound vehicles saying, (laughs) why isn't the car stopping and almost dying? Well, him and his buddy are back at it, and they're doing it with version 8.0 software with 1.0 hardware, and they're standing in front of the cars, they're walking in front of the cars, and they're saying... The upgrade means that they can see the person, uh, the pedestrian, much better. It shows a little person. It shows on a the person. Up, on, like, so there's a, in the video, they show the, the sort of uh, the middle screen display, and you see as instead of cars walking, you know, or cars driving on the side, you see like little a little person. person walking across. And I, the only thing I could think of is what's next? Like, this is going to fall into our little puppy rendering, right? There's going to be puppy. like puppy rendered on the thing. So. Oh, and if you hit the person, you see them fly and their oh. arms and legs. No, they just break, go like this. They explode out. into like a matrix of pixels. So that's good news because one of the things you want to do sort of from a public health point of view is not only save the people in the car but save the people outside the car. And autonomous vehicles, um, if they get really good at rendering people and puppies, are going to be better at missing the people <laughs> than puppies. But still, K-Man, don't push it, dude. He's, this car's doing 20 miles an hour and he steps in front of it. And he said it was a sphincter puckering experience. Yeah, it's a pretty trippy video. That's one brave dude, much braver than I. I'm willing to try it, but you got to step in front of it. I'm willing to let K-Man try it. <laughs> so, well, you know, there's actually new two new videos that Tesla put out that show autopilot in action. Remember the first one we saw where a guy, his garage door opens, the car kind of comes out autonomously. He gets in, he doesn't touch the steering wheel and drives him all the way to the Tesla headquarters and then parks itself. Now they've got a video where it goes on an extended trip. It's in real time. So you can actually sit and watch like a 20-minute drive 
with the car going all autonomous without it being sped up and all that stuff, which I thought was really creepy. And they continue playing... Um, uh, Benny Hill music? No, 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 no. Oh, there's, there is a Benny Hill version too. Yep. But there was also the one with, uh, was it Black... Black Door, Black Dog. Black Sabbath, Black, Black something. No, it was, it was Rolling Stones. But the point is that was the lead this week to me. This video of the new hardware 2.0, cool. self-driving, not on the freeway this time, but through the streets. And you've got to go see this video if you haven't seen it. We've got a whole bunch of people who uh, in their letters section said, did you see the video? Did you see the video? It is pretty amazing. So it shows split screen of what you see out the front window. But also on the side, you see what the front camera is doing, the long distance one, the medium range. You see the back uh, um, camera. You see what this NVIDIA software is doing. It's looking at objects and it's uh, naming what they are. The, one of the most impressive things is there's these two women walking down the street going for a bit of a walk. There's not a footpath there. The car comes up and goes, hello, and slows right down and then it slowly goes around them. Yeah. It is very impressive. Elon said a few months ago, I basically consider self-driving as solved. And when you look at this, at least under the circumstances of this video, under these circumstances, under complex situations, but it wasn't rainy or snowy, it does a spectacular, spectacular job. You know what I hate about this? I feel like a complete idiot, ignoramus, stupid, because I saw this coming. I saw them talking about the new NVIDIA chip. And at the time, uh, NVIDIA was around 30 maybe $25 a share. I'm going to just show oh a gosh. picture of what's happened to NVIDIA in the last couple months. It's gone Triple. up into the 90s. 90s. I see. I feel like such a dumb Kevin fuck. Rose, who oh. is a uh, techno dude, um, said this on a tweet a few months ago. Um, looking at Tesla and NVIDIA, you should probably buy some NVIDIA stock. Yeah. Bam. It's time for letters. I just, I just want to say, self-driving is here. I buried the lead. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. If you haven't seen this video, Hardware 2.0. Oh, my gosh. I'm trying to decide. Oh, my gosh. Oh I'm my still – oh I'm, I'm in shock. I'm like, I'm like oh my gosh. holding my breath because I went ahead and remember like a few weeks ago when, Mel, you went ahead because you're a richer man than I and bought a new car. Yes. And I was about to buy a new car and then I was like, oh, this is so much money. My car – I love my car. It's great. It's comfy. It, there's nothing I have – against my car except that in a year it won't be able to drive me to and from work or a year and a half or two years i don't know at some and point so, it won't be able and, to. and the speed you know my car is pretty fast i don't really need to go 2.4 no you don't no you absolutely do not need a faster <laughs> car you're fine your car is perfectly acceptable right now yeah you want to put a speed limiter on my car i would like to yes yeah okay no joke so I, I didn't pull the trigger, and then oh, I you heard, did not pull I the trigger. I did not pull oh. the trigger, and then I went to the website this week. Uh, it was a lull. Uh, I was on shift. I had like ten minutes, and I needed to put my brain somewhere else. So I went on the website and I priced out the exact same ninety D, not the P one hundred D, the ninety D with all the bells and whistles, the electronic. Restraint. Right. I put on, and I you know what I noticed? N- no. Everything is more expensive. Yeah. Like by $20,000. It's a pricey little machine, man. What? Well, but Makes you, me feel better for ordering. But $8,000 of it is is the autopilot enhanced Oh, tack. no, they've jacked that up. It's closer to 10000 Should have bought. Should have bought NVIDIA. Should have bought a Tesla. What? Well, if I'm you had just... bought $100,000 worth of NVIDIA stock, 
six months ago. I could have two, you could two have Teslas. Because yeah. <laughs> Tesla on Friday, uh, actually, I think today was 185. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Which is uh, when I when the Model 3 was announced, Tesla was at 245. 186.9 right now. Again, do not take stock tips from us, but I just read one dude who supposedly is good at this stuff has now a, uh, what is it, a target price for Tesla in six to 12 months of $350. Maybe we'll I should see. take all the money I was going to pay for a Tesla Model S. So right now, as 90. of this very, very, very moment, second, as we stand here recording, talking Tesla number 61, you have not ordered a car. I have not. But you have ordered a car. Yes, I have. And it's white this time. It's white. And as I was reading that Tesserata article, and the logic is very good. It's like, why would you buy a car right now? Why would you wait for the Model 3? And uh, I thought to myself... Can I cancel? Because their logic is really good. But then I thought, you know what? I'm going to help Tesla. I'm going to get this car. It's going to be the best car. It's a lot of profit. It's a little bigger. And I don't think I'm going to see a Model 3 for at least a year. Is that why? You just want it. You can want it. It's okay. Oh, no. No. No, that's ultimately <laughs> I want it. It's not because you want to support the company and be an early adopter and no, give there them is profit. No, there's definitely a part of that. I would not go and buy a beautiful BMW. It's not going to happen. This is not even that discussion. No, yeah. I get With the that. massaging seats. And there are but more want, luxurious cars than this. I you, want the tech. I want this company to survive. And you want it now. And I want it yesterday, apparently. <laughs> I want it last month. I was on the Tesla website last night to try to order a car as well, but I didn't order a car because it's, it's very expensive and I'm just I'm dying. How many, I'm, how I'm many car dying. How many talking Tesla people do what we do, which is like, I just go configure cars for fun. <laughs> I got a glass of Chardonnay <laughs> late at night. Let me go configure myself up a Tesla tonight. Let's see if I can get it $152,000. Although yesterday I was on my iPad and I don't – and then I – and I couldn't find on the pre-owned section the, the the little click box where you could pick the location of the car seems to have been gone. And all of the cars that I had access to were in Los Angeles. Like so I couldn't hmm. pick cars in New York or Washington. So it limited the number of – uh, vehicles available in the pre-owned section. I don't know if that was just a one-day glitch or they're trying to get rid of, keep it more local so they don't have to do the... Um, Drive them all over the country. Yeah. Hey, let's do letters and let's do them very quickly because, oh my goodness, this has gone a long time and people have got stuff to do. So the first letter is from... Sven Westerlund. Sven Westerlund. And uh, the Opel, I think it's called, is the Chevy Bolt in Europe. And yeah. he's got a little uh, video here of them driving around it. There's a bit of German. There's a bit of English. <laughs> and all I can say is there's no difference really between Austria and Germany. But I really wanted to say that it looks like a great little car. And I love the dash. The dash is all cute and big, colorful yeah. and kind of nice. So this is a good it's car. It's kind of cool. There was one weird thing about it. At about 5.11 in that video, the range is listed at 280 kilometers kilometers max, which is about 173 model miles. So I'm not 100% sure if it's got the same range as the U.S. version of it. Uh, we will have to look a little bit more into that, but I did notice it while I was watching the video. They use different uh, you know, standards for deciding what your you know, equivalents. But and theirs ranges. are more lax than ours, are they? They are. They yeah, are. right. Well, so that's why this thing was, was interesting because it was How under- much was in no, the No, no, it said it was not fully charged, but there was a max meter, right? So it was like three quarters of the way up, there was a number, and then at the top it said 280 max. Yeah, well, we'll see. Uh, Jacob Jocelyn says, first of all, I love the show. and uh, What's not to love? Exactly. And so 
in summary of this very good article, it was uh, we need lots of charges at work, charges at work. So mm. incentives for charges at work. If you own a business, put charges at work. So could we have some charges at work because that's where I'm going to charge most of the time. And make it freaking simple. Think about it. I mean, this is the, I don't know, it feels like there needs to be a university course on this or something to make it really accessible. But at work, you do not need to install fast chargers. You don't need Chatmo. You don't need CCS at work unless you've got people who are like salespeople and they come back to the office, need to charge up quick, grab a bite, have a meeting, go back out and do a bunch of sales. That would be one system in which a CCS charger would be important to have at work. But in reality, the majority of us who go to work are stuck there for eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours. And in that amount of time, you can charge significant amount with just a wall plug a 110-volt, 20-amp wall plug. It doesn't cost a lot of money to put 20 of those at your business, put them in places where cars can reach them. You don't want to use long extension cords because that's going to drop the miles per hour you get to charge. But if you take SpaceX as an example, which I would like to do, instead of installing installing a bunch of level 2 chargers in their big parking structure across the street, they have a ton of level 1 chargers. Now, they went ahead and bought the ones that have the J1772 plug so people don't have to bring their charger cords with their cars. You know, maybe they have them left at home. They forget them, whatever. So you can just plug into the J1772 plug with a level 1 charger, which gives you literally five miles of range per hour that you're plugged in. That's a 20 amp 110 outlet. And if you're at SpaceX, you're there for 15, 16 hours out of pocket right. anyway, so you're good. But again, if you live a little farther away, they they need a mix of them. There should be more of them at work. Mattel has 24 of them, yeah. uh, you know, different level twos. So I agree with you. I think we're coming to the point, hopefully we're coming to the point where when you build your parking lot, you'll just have a level one charger at every single spot. Station, yes, and some level twos and some supercharging. But put them at, at every, every parking, single every parking spot. meter. Put them around the city. Every parking meter. Was it like six months ago that Tom had the revelation that downtown yeah. LA there was a solar parking putting them on the light poles? Light yeah. poles. Have them everywhere because a lot of the time, like you say, I don't need to charge fast. I just need a little bit of boost while I'm going to do my thing. Now, here's another article, and it's uh, from Gabor. Yeah, another letter from Gabor Lindenfrost. Lindenfrost. And uh, it's from the Huffington Post, and he said, here's why you don't have to worry about Donald Trump on climate change. It's a little bit depressing in that it says, don't worry about Donald, because what you're you're sort of got this cognitive problem that you believe that Obama and these other people have done incredible things to reduce the problem of climate change, but they keep meeting. They don't do too much in these meetings, and we keep spewing out CO2, and it's really not going to be that much different under Trump, really what changes things here is businesses and individuals. Governments are so inefficient that uh, don't worry about Trump so much. It ain't that big a deal. And I don't know whether to be happy or sad reading that because it makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, makes me a bit depressed that governments really haven't done much in the last 10 or 15 years, despite all these Kyoto's and Paris agreements. And lots of new articles are coming out about the sea ice is even worse than we thought. So, you know, it's depressing. I think it's a great article. I think everybody should read it because it's a big dose of reality. The reality is that this thing is only going to move forward. And I mean this thing, renewable energy, electric vehicles, only going to move forward if we, the people, move it forward. And the reality is the politicians have one goal, re-election, and maybe a bust or a monument or a library. You know, it's an ego thing. They are not 
generally in it. Now, there are exceptions, but they are not in, in a mass group in it for the environment, for the people, even though they use that as their front. I just say that I love this article or this letter from Captain Paul because it just spells it out, like take a dose of reality. Now, the letters from Gabor, the Huffington Post article that he references, right, is but, by Captain Paul Watson. Well, but there's a letter by Captain Paul Watson. I mean, it's it's basically him, what he's saying. In the Huffington Post entry. I just wanted to make yes, that make part that clear. clear. Rob, Rod Simmons? You almost si- screwed that one up. Yeah, oh, my gosh. I can't, I've got <laughs> such problems. Basically, he says uh, – he asks lots of questions, but he says uh, we should have lots of destination charges, um, and that's good. And they're basically – Hessler has this uh, system where if you're a restaurant, if you're a hotel owner, you can get a Tesla charger there pretty cheaply. They try and uh, make that very uh, cheap so that there'll be a big destination charger network. And he's asking um, us about, uh, well, how much will this really cost to run this car? And what about service centers? And how need how quickly do you need – how often do you need to service this thing? Again, uh, going zero is going to have a whole thing on this. But the summary is under the best of circumstances – you only you have to get this serviced once a year, and the service is nothing. They basically plug it in and say everything's good. Oh, they, put the, on, they put on new wiper blades and fill up your washer up. bottles and check your so tires. It's very little, under the best of circumstances. And uh, so the cost of running this vehicle, if you've got reasonably inexpensive electricity and it doesn't break down, is really low. The only problem we've brought up on this show is that because of build issues, you've had to take this car back a lot. You've had to get a lot of things fixed. They are getting better and better all the time. The S is way better than the X currently, and we are hoping that the Model 3 will be a car that, honestly, once a year you have to take it in. I had a Leaf for three years. I took that car in three times. They plugged it into a laptop, and I was gone 10 minutes later, and that's the only maintenance I ever did in three years. I love Pretty that. good. Cost of ownership, very low. The next letter came from David Sell. He posted a video from the Tesla blog in the shareholder video. Thanks for the letter and sharing that video with us. Everybody should go check out the Solar City meeting. Very interesting information. Tim, what's his name? Jelinus? Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Thank you. Tim Jelinus uh, wants to know why the Tesla app doesn't give us real-time updates about how many miles have been driven uh, autonomously and how many miles have been driven um, uh, in electricity versus not on gas because this is just big data and it's easy to do. And there's so much I could say about that Tesla app. It is a piece of crap. It is so simple. There's so much they could do. I don't know why they don't do stuff like this, which would be fascinating and interesting, and they have the data. Why don't they do it? They should do it. You know what I would like to know is how many miles or how many kilowatt kilowatts kilowatt hours kilowatt hours I've I've more taken, letters here they come. <laughs> how many kilowatt hours I've taken off the supercharger network on a yearly basis. I want to know does it pay for me to pop for a Tesla before the end of the year because I do a lot of driving. You do a lot of driving. I was doing the same thing and I was trying to work out whether how much I should pay up front and all that stuff, but. Again, if the app just told me, yes. Mel, last year you used Boom. 17 trillion kilowatt hours of electricity, then I'd know. There's so much they could do with that app. They clearly have the smart people, and the fact that they're not doing it makes me concerned. Okay, what So is- shout out to Remote S. Just that, Remote that, S that, is that secondary app that's available for like 10 bucks. It lets you do things with your car, like unlock it. I forgot my key in the call room. I had to go down to my car. I was in the ER. I had to get something out of my car, and I was like, oh, damn, where's my key? And then I realized it was like, you know, a quarter of a mile away. So I just used the app. Boom. Open the car. Love it. What's this dude's name, Tom? Cian Dowd. Cian Dowd? Cian Dowd is from Ireland. 
And uh, what did he say here? Oh, he wanted to talk about Dwight. Dwight was talking about some stuff about south and north oh, base and windows. Is this happening? And and I'm going to have to get you in touch with Dwight directly. <laughs> and now it's turned Scottish because I cannot do Irish. Is Dwight from Scotland? Cynthia Weiner. Cynthia Weiner. Cynthia. Focus, boys. Yes, Cynthia Weiner. <laughs> I believe it's Weiner. Let's not call it Weiner. This is the best letter we've received all week, by the way. And and I don't know. I'll let you read this one. The smart one. Use the it force. It was definitely Mel, not Tom, a.k.a. the smart one, who confused Dutch with Danish, although surprisingly, Tom did not catch it at oh, the that time. That is surprising. She is correct. I'm surprised uh, I didn't catch that. What is amazing to me in these uh, interesting political <laughs> times is that how you can fool a lot of the people a lot of the time. <laughs> uh, a Crock-Pot is a slow cooker. You don't come home at 5 and turn on the Crock-Pot. You turn it on at 7 a.m. I was aware of that. I'm sorry that I misspoke and that this is such a big deal. Do you do much cooking, Tom? I'm uh, Mel, do you do much cooking? I no. cook every day. Do you really? Yeah. Oh, good. No. If you call... Toasted sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. Panini. Uh, yeah. You're a panini. I am a panini no, machine. No, you're yeah. not making panini. I am a panini maker, dude. I am the panini making machine. <laughs> all, right, all right. I'm so right. good. Uh, you know what? I apologize. Read part uh, number three of this letter. Where is it? I'd just... like to point out which one of you assured Mel that he would get his birthday wish last week while Tom, a.k.a. the smart one, <laughs> was intelligent enough to keep his mouth shut and did not make any stupid-ass projections on the outcome of the election last Monday, May 7th. So if she's talking about one of us assuring Mel and it wasn't me, that means it was Robert. Robert, Robert said that a certain person wouldn't get elected. Tom and I were both very concerned that it was going to happen. In fact, Closed. I was pretty convinced. Can I make a Thomas can I make a point here, uh, just to show you how smart I am that the election was actually on Tuesday the eighth. <laughs> Look at you! More letters. Oh. And actually, Cynthia, you were right because Cynthia. Hillary did win the popular vote by she about one point five million votes, yeah. and that matters absolutely, absolutely nothing. That means uh, that's like saying I would like a Tesla in my driveway. I do not have one. And Another Chris one. Murphy brought up a really interesting question, and this is the second person in 24 hours who has asked this. Chris says, is there enough lithium to have 100 gigafactories and do everything? And so yes. uh, Andrew Caresti, a friend of mine who lives up the street here, said the same thing and sent me a, um, a link. And there's a lot of this link bait stuff that says there's not enough lithium. It can't possibly occur. Bullshit. And I think a lot of it is a disinformation campaign. No. But I did go on Cora, <laughs> which I find to be a useful site. Very useful. And Cora has a very sophisticated answer to this with a number of different people looking at it saying it's not like lithium is everywhere. Mm-mm. There is an enormous amount of it. There's certainly enough to get us through the next 10 or 20 years building a lot of cars and a lot of um, battery packs. But it's not like it could potentially do everything in terms of the amount of lithium we've we've know about right now. But as the price goes up, then you can go look for more lithium. And there's also some people saying you can get lithium out of seawater and so you can go just suck it out of the sea and there's an enormous amount there. I don't understand this, but at least for the shortish term, let's say 10 to 20 years, plenty of lithium to do the stuff that we want to do. Alter- we might need alternatives down the road if we try and electrify everything, but that's going to take a while. It's, one, it's in the top five most common elements on the planet. And as Straubel had talked about, they've already developed a recycling process in which they can take cells that are not working, strip them down, pull the lithium out, and as well as other elements, and recycle. There's more than enough lithium. We're good. 
James Curry asked the question of Robert, what is that little holder thing that you talked about a few weeks ago? Oh, your phone injection phone. molding oh, phone yes. holder. Oh, yes. This thing is fantastic. It's, it's uh, all I can say is it's fantastic. He wants to know what the brand is, though. I'm, it's called ProClip. It's Maybe. made in like uh, Sweden or Finland. Or Switzerland. They're basically the same. Is thing. that no, the it's... one that's available on the Evanex website or no? No, I think you have to go to ProClip.com. It's about a right. hundred bucks. Right. You have to buy it in two parts. The thing is bomb-proof. I bought one for my wife's Prius, and she at first said, "Oh, can you take it off?" And I said, "No, give it a try." And now she uses it all the time. That was uh, we get no money from those people. That's just no, I get no money from anybody. We get no money. From no, no money anybody. from that's anybody. That's not true. We get money I'm, from some people. Some Patreon subscribers. Yeah, thank you for you. you. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, want to help the show? Dare you, rude people? That's so, true. But I don't get that money. No, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Berman says, uh, "Love the show. Word. It's fantastic. Mel's the smartest by far." Doesn't say that. Don't know it why you've got anybody else on the show. Say that. No, it doesn't. And he was asking, "Should I get an S or an X?" And uh, well, they are two totally different cars. But I would say right now, because of the Falcon wing doors, <laughs> that actually I would not get another X until uh, they fix those issues. But haven't they? You well, they fixed a lot of the issues. X? But I think actually fundamentally they're flawed. Whatever. Um, the, just the concept of this giant door swinging above your head, just I just don't get it. Even though I love that car, and every time I open the doors, I have small children and rabbits and everybody going, "Oh my gosh, that's the greatest thing in the world!" Rabbits? Is it? Are I you? Just, are you Cinderella? I just am anxious about like if I get. I literally <laughs> had a dream. I rolled the car. I'd rolled the X down the side of a hill, uh-huh. and I couldn't get out, and I was panicked. Like, how do I get the doors open? How do I get the doors open? And Obviously, I've been thinking about it because now I'm dreaming about those stupid doors. How would I open those doors if I flip the car? Hard to flip the car, but I just think these doors are uh, silly. And I hope the Y, which should be the small SUV version, we believe, of the Model 3, doesn't have those doors. Why? Because... Why? Why? Oh, my God. Why? I want to read the next one so from Dale Solomon. Before we get there, I would oh, okay. say if you're going to get something right now, I mm-hmm. think the build quality of the S is better. I would get air suspension and I would get um, some good audio in there. Because, Do you have yeah. air suspension in your car? No, I didn't get it in my original so, car. So originally – The new one I was going to So have. we have air suspension and, yeah. and I thought it was really just about ride height basically, like Mm-mm. getting into the driveways and things like that. But I've been reading a lot of stuff that it, the car actually rides a lot different and I don't have any reference points. So I'd like to maybe one day bring mine over here and drive mine and drive yours kind of side by side and get kind of a real world of like how does it turn corners, blah, 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 all that other stuff. You know what's one of the worst sounds on the planet? Nope. When you park your car and mm-hmm. someone who doesn't really give a shit about your car is sitting in the passenger seat, I'm not talking about my family. I'm just talking about anybody. And I know when what the they sound is. open the door and the curb is there and you mm. hear this. <laughs> and usually what it happens is they get they open the door and it's fine. And then they get in the car and that lowers the car yes. a little bit, the weight. And then they close it like. Yeah. And then they're scraping. And then you're thinking about all the paint on your $100,000 car. So. The nice thing about the Tesla, so in front of my house, the curb's kind of high. When I get to the house and they're like, oh, can't open the door. My son, very thoughtful, opens it a little bit. My wife, very little bit. Oh, can you please raise the car? Boom. You go to ride height and controls ride height. You raise up the car. It will remember where you are. 
Right. So every time you park in that spot, would it be at work or whenever you go to that restaurant or whatever, mm-hmm. you don't even have to think about it. Mm-hmm. The car will raise up and you don't have to hear that horrible sound. Yeah, it's awesome. But, Brilliant. but it's more than that. It's really about how the car corners and turns. Supposedly, it just rides differently. And I again, I want a side-by-side comparison of the two of them because that's a big – obviously, I would like to get the air suspension but just for that. But you don't go fast. It doesn't matter. It's still driving. Still. Dale Solomon says, uh, look, if I get a Model 3 <laughs> and it has level 5 autonomy uh, and I send it to go get some no, drugs no, no. or deliver drugs. He says it goes off on autonomous trips delivering drugs. drugs. Would this still be illegal, illegal as I won't be in the car? And I'm just asking for a friend. Hilarious. Dale, not sure. Good question. So my question, <laughs> my, my the, oddly enough, the first thought I had was, so let's say you – you have a Model S and you're delivering – you're sending it to deliver drugs autonomously. The first person that it gets to is going to take all the drugs out of the car. <laughs> like So you have five or six deliveries packaged unless nicely. You have, unless you have different compartments. Yeah, you have to have like a, a little safe or something yeah. like that in the back of it. But I was like, people will take yeah. all the drugs. Chris Farmer has an extraordinarily long uh, email, which we read and is really great. But the summary is that the Model 3 in England, particularly because of the Brexit – is going to be a much more expensive car, which is one of the most important reasons they shouldn't have left the European Union because yes. the Model 3 is going to cost more. <laughs> yeah, that was the reason That's, they shouldn't have left the That would have tip, tipped it the other way for sure. Really, I thought U.S. and British uh, trade agreements were different than British trade agreements with the uh, – what is it? The um, – European mainland Union. of Europe, right? But it's about the dollar versus yeah, the, the, the dollar, sound. sort of the it's pound. The pound They've crashed taken a little a bit. Punt, yeah. Jeff Schaefer, is it? Please, good job, buddy. Thank you. He basically says the videos that show the hardware 2.0 driving is really interesting, pretty amazing, pretty cool. But where he's from, where it's snowy and crappy, how good would it be? Yeah, but did we you watch? But watch the videos. They did the two most recent videos in really foggy weather. I could not see. Down to the end of the road. Right, but he's talking about a situation where you have five five level, five lanes of highway, and this happens. You know, you have a big five-lane highway. Yes. The snow comes a couple inches. Yes. It's covered up. Now, most people are driving that as it's a three-lane highway. They're kind of moving that, away from the sides and things like that. So that's going to be very difficult. Dash, that was his question. Dash is going to flash. You're going to have to put your hands on the wheel and drive. Yeah, well, yeah. well drive. actually, I have two thoughts about that. One, yes. is Just that, two? Uh, yeah, only two is we don't know how good this is going to be. We're going to have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. But I have been in England and other places where it's been really snowy and it's on the freeways, and I've watched how humans drive under those circumstances, and it wouldn't have to be too good to be better than that. I was there. <laughs> <laughs> Let me sort of paint the scenario for you. It's foggy. You can't see 20 feet in front of you. It's snowing. We're on the M1, one of the big interstate. The big. And people are whipping by us at 80 miles an hour. And we're like feeling freaked out at 20 miles an hour. And they just go, boom, 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 whipping by us. And then uh, about an hour later, we come up to what is one of the biggest pileups in the history of the M1. There was about 200 cars that had just plowed into each other, one after another after another. I thought the uh, autonomous vehicle doesn't have to be too much better. It just has to drive slower. Yeah. I just wonder, were they on their way to the pub or from the pub? It was sad and insane. But at the time, you're like, oh, these people, if somebody crashes, and they did. Just plowed into each other. It was horrible. Hey, there was an article here from Nicholas. It's a letter. Cochran. Cochran, you got it. Thank you. you. Like the Cochran uh, Collaborative. You know that. Now, we need to make uh, very clear here. He's a U.S. Army officer at Fort 
Brenning, Georgia, and uh, his opinions here in no way represent those of the Department of Defense. But he says that the Department of Defense and the Army um, may not be following uh, Trump's lead on this. They believe in global warming. They believe this is a big issue. They believe it's actually a national security issue mm-hmm. uh, with migration and lots of bad things going on. And he's got a beautiful picture here of his ex in front of an enormous solar array at Fort uh, Bragg. Yeah, so sure. uh, thank you for the note, Nicholas. Great note. Yeah, actually, if you read some and of the – And for your service. If you read some of the documentation or actually all of the documentation that I've re- read from the Department of Defense – and their forward-looking statements. It's impressive what they're pushing. In fact, we talked about uh, energy production from tidal uh, systems. We talked about how they're pushing autonomous vehicles. I'm, I'm big on the military. They're doing the right thing. And according to uh, this letter, 25% of all DOD facility energy consumption must come from renewables by 2025. So that's pretty cool. Andrew Bone. Uh, says, hi, guys. Mel is the smartest, the best guy on the program. Um, no, doesn't. Uh, Andrew didn't say that. <laughs> Love the show. I'm into the whole EV thing. It's very enlightening to hear your perspectives. I'm planning to replace my current 8.5-year-old car, which is still in pretty good shape, with a Model 3. And he sort of goes through the same thing again. I can't afford a $105,000 car, so... Um, should I, I didn't get on the wait list. Should I get on the wait list now? Is it too late? Should I just see what happens? Uh, could I, should I just buy a pre-owned model S? Um, I don't know. His electricity is super cheap. Too. Yeah, he Seven does have yeah. cents a kilowatt hour. Seven cents a kilowatt hour Yowza. from the coal-fired plant in coal-fired plant in Dayton, Ohio. I don't know. There's Sad. so many variables. I don't know when we're going to see model threes. If you haven't been on the wait list, um, if Why? you can wait, sure, wait. But uh, I don't want to encourage don't anybody wait. not to get an don't electric wait. car. Go don't get an electric. Wait. All right, you're going to make it simple. Wait. Just get one. Don't wait. Just get one now. But then he asked the question: Should he get a used one? Should he get a new one? That's a tough question right yeah. now. Again, because of the advanced tech. Uh, that's depends a good, that's on if available. that matters. If you don't get on the highway, you're not right, going to use it. it. It may not matter now, but does it matter in the like? Okay, so twenty five thousand dollars in difference, but is it? $25,000, that kind of saves you a $25,000 loss in value in two years when more of these cars are available. That's the that's the real question. Like, what's the value? As, is the value of a Tesla without advanced autopilot hardware or with no autopilot hardware, which is what most of the used ones are available mm-hmm. now, yes. do those have value? So, you know, I was talking to somebody, one of the PAs that I work with, over the weekend. And she was telling me, you know, I can't believe people want these auto- autonomous cars. I would never drive one of these autonomous cars. And I thought, oh, well, here's a good example. How often do you use your cruise control? And she said, never. I don't like it. I want to stay in control. I was like, perfect. Don't buy an autonomous vehicle. So how many Teslas are there without autonomy by the time the autonomy gets switched on in one and a half or two years? A minuscule amount in comparison to all the other cars out there. But I don't like cruise control either for the reason that I feel like it, it's only good That's on not my the freeways. Point. Okay. My point is that there's a lot of people out there who will not drive in an autonomous vehicle. They're the market for the non-autonomous cars. So okay. let me break it down. I would say uh, – who was this? It was Andy. Andy, I think it just comes down to money. If you are at a point where you really can't afford – it's a stretch, then just get a, an S, a second-hand S. I'm just giving mine back to uh, Tesla, for example. It is a beautiful car. I love that car. It's by far the best car I've ever had. You will love a second-hand Model S. Just fly out here and, and get it cheaply. Grab Mel's right off him. Get it $40,000 or $50,000. 
If you are like me and you're a super geek and you want full autonomy as fast as you can possibly get it, then you rationalize the extra expense and you get it now. And if you're one of those people who wants the best of both worlds, I want a pretty inexpensive car and I want full autonomy, you have to wait for the Model 3. So that's going to be a year, I, I, my guess. But he also says that the 60 doesn't have enough range for him. So there is a potential right. that the Model 3 also won't have enough range for him. We don't know. Right. Again, that's a big if at the moment. And so he's asking about the major difference between the 85 and the 90D. The 90D, again, is all-wheel drive, probably drives a little bit better if you have inclement weather, which maybe happens in Dayton, Ohio, a little bit more. So there's there's all kinds of factors that are all very, very personal when making these decisions. And the D, just so you know, it also is more efficient and uh, gets significantly more range than if it was just a, a 90 it's not, not significantly more range, but it's more range. It's I think it's a, a good amount of range. It's like uh, 10, 20 miles uh, from a 90 to a it's 90 in something single like that. single digit Is yeah. it? So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, last letter is from Pat Lopez that says, please stop swearing. Not going to happen, but we will continue to bleep. Wow, this was an extraordinarily long and not particularly great talking Tesla. Hey, don't say that. I thought it was pretty good. Why Why do you leave that seed in people's minds? Oh, oh I you just be... wasted two hours of your time. Thank you so much for listening. F you. In, That's just what you're telling the people. In these uh, post-fact uh, times that we live in, Tom. <laughs> post-fact times? I'm trying to keep it real. Fact mm-hmm. is, car talk, excellent. Talking Tesla, good it's a different show people yeah. are not calling us asking if the like how to repair an actuator on their 1992 infinity gs5 although maybe i don't even we, think that's a car maybe we so should go know. back to the fun facts and talk about you know the little bits and knobbly things that are sort of virtual in the tesla and knobbly how to make bits. them work better i think that we get a lot of letters we get a lot of messages on facebook we get a lot of people interacting with us on twitter that means we're doing something right we're not doing everything right Robert can attest to that. We're not doing everything. <laughs> we're not doing everything right. Well, we're doing our best. We're trying to get the information. People sent us letters saying that they thought we were actually pretty positive post-election, yeah. which was not easy for us. Let's be completely no, honest. Yeah. So let's be a little more positive. Let's okay. be a little bit more happy okay. about the work we're doing. All right. I just was trying to keep it real. Just trying to. Well, Keep I'm it. also keeping it real. I'm keeping it positively well, real. Well, I'm just I guess Ooh. what I'm really getting at is that the number of emails saying that Tom is the smartest is really beginning to upset me. <laughs> I <laughs> oh, see. Oh, wait a minute. I so think that's we're what this is it. all about. Mm. Tom is right. Tom, Tom is, is smart. smart. Tom is so, better looking. Tom all, smells all I, better. That's all I have. You guys have Teslas coming out your ass. Oh, I got swearing again. Tom swears the most. <laughs> Tom does swear You've the most. You got a Tesla 60. What are you doing? I drove it last night in the pouring pouring rain and you know what's a lot of fun what is in if it's been raining a lot hitting yes. the reverse the image that you get on the camera Sucks. on your backup camera oh my god have you guys ever seen this i took a picture of this picture last it's night psychedelic to share with you guys i was i was at really the gas looking out the front no window. i was at the gas station trying to get uh air in my tires oh god and it was the middle of the night and the guy's like oh i turned it off because it was raining i'm like well that's super freaking helpful but like look at that picture that i, I got like really you can't sucks. see you can't see anything i know there should be like some sort of a spoiler air something oh a little I mini know. wiper a like mini a little wiper, mini wiper tiny yeah. wiper on tiny, your tiny, little tiny, air blower thing hold me closer tiny, tiny hands wiper. Uh, i'm ending this thing ladies and gentlemen <laughs> boys and girls talking tesla 61 his name was tommy his name was rob my name is mel and we are so done oh here. yeah we love we you man thank you <laughs> oh.
Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, let's do another Going Zero before we completely call this done. This is going to be the last of the Going Zero's uh, podcast within a podcast. I'm going to make it freestanding. But remember we talked to Dwight, and Dwight was telling us how we should orient a building and do all this stuff to the building itself to make it as low energy as possible. Let's hop inside the building and talk about a few technologies that I know you're going to find very interesting about how you can reduce the energy consumption of said building that you could be making or modifying. And let's start with lights. LED lighting is uh, pretty much a no-brainer anymore. It's very cost-competitive to install and much lower energy use, so definitely would use um, LED lighting. You, you minimize your heating and cooling. You minimize your lighting. The other big energy user is what we call plug loads or things that you know, that you plug in, like computers and copiers and um, anything that is sort of a process kind of load. So that's really the other thing that you can do is try to focus on getting energy efficient computers and copiers or whatever uh, whatever type of equipment that you have. Occupancy sensors are also something that is really good for both for lighting and, and for plug loads, depending on what your plug load is. You can put an occupancy sensor in a room that can allow you to, you know, automatically turn off the lights when no one's in there. If, if you have people in your building that don't remember to do that, which most buildings do, but then it can also turn off any, like a, you know, a copier or a printer or something that's just sitting there pulling energy all the time. And if there's nobody there to use it, you might as well turn it off. And you can't even connect it to your heating and cooling system to allow the temperature to float higher or lower than you would if there was someone in there. And depending on the type of ventilation system you have, you can also, you know, turn off the ventilation in that room or turn down the ventilation when uh, when no one's in it. So there's occupancy sensors is another good a good strategy for keeping that energy consumption down. What about the redistribution of heat within a building? For example, the guys that run our website for our other medical podcast are in Prince Edward's Island. It's freezing six months of the year. Freezing! But they run our servers, which are really hot. So they take the heat that those servers make and they pump it throughout the rest of the building. Talk to us about that kind of stuff. If you think about a building that has, say you have a, a, a core internal part of the building that doesn't have any exterior exposure. So in the wintertime, for example, it has it's not losing any heat to the outside because it's surrounded by other parts of the building. So you're going to have basically excess heat in there that you're going to have to take out of the system or take out of that room. A water source heat pump system and certain kinds of air source heat pump systems have the ability to, you have, you have that core room area that is in cooling, and so you're extracting heat from that core area. It goes into the water loop that is being circulated and shared by the other heat pumps, so you're taking heat out of the core, putting it into the water loop, and then your perimeter zones that maybe that would need heating in the wintertime now have a higher temperature heat source that they can draw on because of the heat that was put into it from the core of the building. So essentially your water source heat pump system or your heat pump system can be a way of transferring excess heat from where you don't need it and putting it um, into parts of the building that do need it. So just kind of like what you were talking about. Okay, so what about conditioning the air? There's these systems, these wheels, these things that do something magic. Again, depending on your climate, if you have steam hot or cold, then another big energy user is conditioning the air that's used for ventilation inside the building. And a good way to minimize that energy need is to use a heat recovery or an energy recovery system to take the air that you're exhausting out of the building, pull the energy that you have in that airstream that's leaving the building, and use that to preheat or pre-cool the outdoor air that you're bringing, the fresh air that you're bringing in to ventilate the building. 
and there's a particular technology there that's especially beneficial. There's a number of different kinds, but one is it's called a, a total energy recovery. They're usually wheels that rotate around through the exhaust airstream and then um, through the outdoor airstream, and they transfer both heat and moisture from from one airstream to the other. So, for example, in the winter time, you have warm, somewhat more humid air in the building, and you have cold, very dry air from outside. And so uh, the total energy wheel allows you to take both heat and moisture um, that is in the exhaust airstream that's leaving the building that you actually want and transfer that over to the cold, dry outside air that's coming in for ventilation and, and therefore reduce the amount of heating and or humidification that you would need. Conversely, in the summertime, when you have cool, relatively dry air in the building and hot, relatively moist air outside, the total energy recovery system allows you to transfer that excess heat and moisture that's in the outdoor airstream into the exhaust airstream before it leaves the building. So uh, that's a really good strategy for limiting energy need of the building. What about good old-fashioned insulation? What's new with that? What could I do to make my little building building really low energy using insulation? Yeah, you know, the one thing that has become sort of a development in building insulation is what they call continuous building insulation, where, you know, it it used to be pretty common where you would would build a wall out of studs, and then in between the studs, you would put bat insulation or or some kind of insulation in between the studs, and then you'd put some sort of pin on the outside of those studs for the the building brick or metal panels or or something like that, or adobe or, or, or whatever. If you have a stud kind of construction, those studs act as sort of thermal short circuits in that wall insulation system so that, you know, where where the stud meets the exterior skin, there's no insulation between the stud and the exterior skin, and so that becomes kind of a thermal short circuit where heat can transfer through that wall system without passing through the insulation. So what a lot of buildings do now is they have a a continuous layer of uh, insulation on the exterior of the studs rather rather than in between the studs, and that helps with the performance, the thermal performance of that wall. And then windows, yeah, uh, double pane, triple pane, um, low E coatings. So uh, there's different low E coatings that you can get on on windows, and so you can be strategic about uh, about all of that to uh, to minimize that heat gain and loss. Of course, you could just check up solar panels and stuff and have standard equipment and use energy, but you're getting it from the sun, so it doesn't matter, right? But there are other good reasons just to drop the energy requirement of that building over and above the simple cost that you might be able to defray with a solar panel. One of the reasons it's important to minimize uh, the energy need of the building um, first is, of course, the less energy your building needs, the less solar panels you have to buy, and a lot of times you can um, you can get more efficient um, you can build a more efficient building for cheaper than you can buy solar panels. Although with the price of solar panels coming down, that balance point is is changing. But the other uh, important reason to minimize the energy need of your building is that you may not have an infinite amount of area available for your solar panels. And so the less energy you need, the more chance you have of having enough area that when you cover it with solar panels, you'll have be generating enough electricity to meet the needs of the building. So those are really you know, the two drivers for trying to minimize the energy need of the building to begin with. Look, let this just be a taste test, a sousan, just a a little bit of uh, what we're going to be doing in much more detail with uh, Dwight and many others about how to go zero for yourself in your car, for yourself in your house, for yourself in your buildings, 
and I'm sort of going through the sort of 10 or 12 different topics that I think we're going to want to cover, and I'm going to start on production very soon. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is the end of Going Zero, the podcast within a podcast, but a much bigger, better, more produced version of Going Zero is coming to a podcast station near you soon. And thanks to Dwight for all his work. And thanks to you all. We will speak to you next week on the Tesla that does talk. Talking Tesla is a production of Bullyboo Incorporated. Produced by Mel Herbert and CC Herbert. Hosted by Mel Herbert, Tom Wolfson, and Robert Rosenblum. To support Talking Tesla, go to patreon.com forward slash talking Tesla. If you love the show, write us a review on iTunes.